Good morning. 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 Um, it's good to be with you guys again as we continue our study in the book of Second Timothy. Uh, so you can go ahead and turn with Second Timothy. That's where we're going to be picking up at. I believe we got to verse six uh, last week, and so we'll read the first chapter again. Uh, but before we do that, can anybody remind me by way of review of anything we've talked about the first two weeks? Go ahead. The um, responsibility <coughs> role that mothers and grandmothers have, mm-hmm. um, and how huge of an impact we can have with future generations and our family with discipling them. Yeah, yeah, that was the a big part of what we talked about last week. We talked about how Timothy's grandmother, mother Eunice and Lois, um, how they were really the only Christian influence that Timothy had in his life. His father was not a believer. And uh, how, of course, that played out in Timothy's life, and then how our mothers and grandmothers affect us, and the role that they have, and um, how it's an important role, and that they can have a lot of influence on uh, children and, and the raising of the children. So, anything else? I thought about how encouraged Timothy would have been to get a letter from Paul. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then it mentions in there that he had. Uh, reminded of your sincere faith and all that stuff. I mean, that would be encouraging to for the Apostle Paul, who who knows what sincere faith really is, to to examine your life and to to have said that you have sincere faith as well. So, yeah, that would have been encouraging, I think, and to know that Paul's praying for him as much as he is. So, anything else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Paul would that serves God with a clear conscience, and you know, given his past, I think that's that's pretty significant that we're able to be able to do that no matter what kind of sins we've committed in the past. But anything else before we move on? Okay, so I'll go ahead and read uh, the first chapter so we can get the whole context here, and then we'll pick up in verse 6. So, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome... He searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Any comments or questions as we read through that again? 
uh, this time before we pick up. Go ahead. To me today, but the, the word abolished is such a big word. It's not just, he didn't just put death to death or he put an end to death. Mm -hmm. He abolished it. Mm -hmm. It sounds almost like a violent you know, getting rid of. Yeah, yeah, that is a significant word there. Yeah, I don't probably won't get there today, but uh, yeah, that is significant that he has abolished death and, and brought forth life through his life and death. So, do you have something, Pastor Tim? Yeah, something I've really wondered about is this metaphor guy at the end of the chapter because he says, you know, may the Lord grant him mercy. And if that's all he said, you think, okay, you know, maybe mercy that he gets healed or something like that. If you jump down to verse 18, it says, mercy on that day. Which you know would be the day we stand before the Lord. So it makes you wonder: Does Mesoporus not know the Lord yet? I don't mm. have an answer to that. It's just kind of always. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, I haven't gotten to this point to study that, but that that is interesting. That maybe that could be talking about that. Maybe he's just a really good friend and being helpful to him, but he doesn't necessarily know the Lord. So that is interesting. I'm not sure about that. I also think that phrase "May the Lord grant him mercy to, from the Lord" is kind of interesting too. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to figure that out once I get there. But um, so we'll pick up in verse. Six then, where it says, For this reason I remind you to fan in the, into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so this gift is talking again about uh, Timothy's ministerial gift, his, his ability to teach and preach and lead and exhort. And Paul is telling him to fan this gift into flame. And the picture Paul is uh, illustrating here is, would be the picture of a fire. And we've all been around a campfire, and we know that after it burns, for some time, uh, it begins to dwindle and die down, and the flame begins. Uh, the flame begins to go out. And what do you have to do to get it going again? You take a stick or a poker and you stir up the ashes and fan that back into flame to get the flame uh, reignited. And so that's what Paul's saying here for Timothy. You need to fan this gift into flame. Um, and so this, though this gift was given to Timothy by God. Um, Timothy still has a responsibility to fan this gift into flame and to continue to use this gift and work on this gift um, and stir this gift up and make the most of it. And so not only does Timothy have this responsibility, but all of us have this responsibility in whatever gift we have been given. And not everybody has been given the same gift. Uh, some of us have been given a gift to preach or teach, or uh, maybe you're gifted at working with children, maybe you're gifted at uh, relating with people and being encouraging, maybe you're gifted at... Um, you know, musically or technologically, whatever it might be, uh, there's, there's different gifts that God has given the people of his church. And so we're called to use those to the glory of God and then to really fan these gifts into flame. So um, how might we go about fanning these gifts into flame that you have been given? Anybody have ideas? But Practice, yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I put down here. It really is to use your gifts is, is the, really the best way to fan your gift into flame, and that is to get involved with a, a local church, which hopefully most of you are involved with this one, um, and to get plugged in where you can. There's several different places you can volunteer uh, here at this church to um, use your gifts and to get better at them and sharpen them and continue to grow in them. And so hopefully whatever area that is that you feel you've been gifted in, you can plug in. It doesn't have to just be in the local church either. Um, I mean, it can be out in the world. I mean, some people have been gifted at evangelism. Not that we're not all called to be evangelists, um, but some people you know, really have an ability to relate to people and, and have those kinds of conversations. So you can use that gift um, out aside from the local church as well. Um, but yeah, that's really, uh, I think, the best way 
to fan these gifts and flames, continue to use them. And for Timothy, that was to continue to teach and to preach and, and to not let them his gift die down. Um, I also think there's a sense in which we must fan into faith our flame or fan, fan into flame our faith. Um, I think our faith from time to time can dwindle and uh, die down. I know that I, I can admit that my faith sometimes is not what it is is at other times. It's not as strong as it is at other times. And there, there is some sort of uh, fanning that faith into flame. Uh, Emmanuel, you have something to say? Okay. Does God give gifts based on gender? Uh, yeah, there are unique gifts that men have that women don't have and women have that men don't have. So there are certain gifts, and then there are certain gifts that both genders have, I would say. Does that answer your question? Do you agree with that, or do you disagree with that? Good examples, Pastor. I would disagree with that, but it's a good time. Okay, all right, well, you, uh, you have something to go. to bring glory to God and not to bring glory to yourself and then to look good and, and uh, have a good reputation amongst people by how faithful and, and um, holy you are or something, but it's, it's really just uh, to do it out of bringing glory to God and that's recognizing that's why you've been given that gift. Um, so then talking about this uh, fanning faith into flame, um, what, what are some of the better or the ways that you guys fan your own faith into flame or ways that Scripture teaches us to fan the faith into flame. Scripture, right there, you said the scripture. You stay in the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and you know, I I would challenge anyone to step away from reading the Bible for just when you step away, you feel encouraged. You know, you could be even be reading some of the hard hard things that, that were being written in Psalms and and, mm -hmm. and still that way being encouraged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely has that ability. And that's really, and I think I maybe mentioned the last time I taught, but really any question you have pertaining to the Christian faith, you know, how do I grow more in this? How do I get better at this? Um, you want to answer that with read the Bible and pray more? Uh, that would be a great answer. And of course, that's like genuinely reading the Bible and, and searching it out and genuine prayer, not just checking it off and saying, okay, why haven't I grown in this area? But um, but yeah, that's, I mean, letting the word of, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, I think we're commanded to do that, and so that would certainly is a way of, of encouraging you and motivating you to, and then fanning that faith back into flame. Go ahead, girl. I, I think the faiths are, are, and me personally, just when my faith is weak, I hesitate to speak about, you know, what I hope God's going to do, or, you know, not just talking about answer prayer, but you know, I don't want to know, okay, what if God will isn't this? I'm just not going to say it. It just shows how little my faith is, you know, but I think just believing, you know, the faith of a mess 
proceed and, and that God will, will work through whatever it is, you know, in, in the context of just what our faith is. I just, I'm making much sense. Our faith is very little, and I think that God wants us to, and uses the example of like the widow harassing, literally harassing a judge to get their way, or a neighbor that's banging on the door when the guy is in his family's all in bed or whatever. And, and God's almost encouraging that kind of behavior. It's like you've got to believe, like the, the, lady, the widow with the judge and the neighbor who's knocking on the door, they really believed if they kept going. That God would come through, and he, mm-hmm. and he did. You know what I mean? And I think too often we're like, well, it must be as well. Oh well, you know, just kind of protect myself between my legs and you know, right away. And so there's an there's an element of just belief, and and even I would say speaking forth to someone like this is my, you know, I don't know God's will. Of course, we always have to pray for you. Guys. I don't know God's will for you in this situation, but I believe it. You know, and just to really believe it and speak it verbally out publicly or whatever. I just think God honors that in mm-hmm. in a bigger way than if we're just quietly hoping. Yeah, yeah, I think going about it timidly and just kind of, you know, yeah, maybe God will do this, maybe God won't, but understanding the promises that God has given us in Scripture and that he's going to fulfill those promises and believing upon them, yeah, I think is, is a great way to stand the faith in a plan. As a parent for three years now, we've been making sure to still be supposed to our children the way that we're That's obviously tenfold through the generations, but not assuming that somebody else's responsibility to people. Mm-hmm. Like fanning their faith into flame, or is it affects you as well as what you're saying? I was talking about the gift of God or for Timothy, but I was taking it a different route to the fan of faith. Yeah, just yeah. like yeah. using an analogy of the fire. Yeah, yeah. I think that would, I'm not a, I don't have children, so I can't exactly speak <laughs> to that. But. I agree. I mean, it's also encouraging, like, if I have to think about how do I tell my three year old this, right? Like, yeah. how do I teach my three year old about God? I am encouraged in the process. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And right. the, the verse you were trying to say, let the word of Christ go on you, which originally my, my brain encouraged the friendship, right? Teaching and admonishing one another yeah. in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So God, like all mm-hmm. of that yeah. fans into flame, my faith. Yeah, I th- yeah, that's that's a good example. And um Certainly, as you have to learn the, the answers that you have to give to your children, I think, is a way that teaches you, encourages you. Um, and then you, you go on there talking about spiritual songs, singing hymns. That's one of the ways I like to fan my faith into flame is it has a way of just helping me be reminded of you know good hymns that are biblical uh, lyrics and stuff like that that can remind me of um, the truths and the promises that God has given. Yeah. I think also... Um, Going back and seeing how God worked in the past, and you know, has God ever failed me before? You know, yeah. has He always provided? Mm-hmm. Um, and go back and review. You know, you, you've always been through there. And I have no way even to have faith, lack in faith now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think the more you can see how God worked in your life and how He's working, that can also increase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think looking back at uh, all the times God's brought you through whatever circumstance or trial uh, that you faced before, um, it's really an encouragement. Is there another hand? I think uh, to sum up, by talking about people who are faithful, they have a teacher. And we talk about somebody like Joshua. Joshua was always around, Moses he was always there, Moses' is minister. Mm-hmm. So, when Moses passed away, he was called. The one who was always available, teachable, mm-hmm. and uh, faithful. Yeah. So, 
sometimes I think that the problem is that we feel that we've, we've studied so much. Oh, what is the pastor teaching? Oh, he's doing a first <coughs> movie. Oh, I know it already. Oh, I've yeah. read it already. I know much. You know, and mm-hmm. you don't avail yourself of new insights and things. Mm-hmm. Usually, it happens to us. Yeah, yeah, being teachable, I think, and, and humble again, um, willing to learn. Is certainly, anything else, Emmanuel? I think we'll say that not knowing God's will is confusion. Not knowing His will is confusion. Is that? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And also, if you don't submit your will to God, God will not know your will. I don't know what you want exactly. So it goes both ways. You need to know God will that you and you need to make your with God. That you must be with God. Yeah, I mean I, I saying God doesn't know something is a little I mean, I don't know if I'd say that he doesn't know your will, but I mean you certainly have to know God's will, which is it, it, through scripture and reading scripture. And so yeah, I'd agree with that. And if you don't know the word of God, you don't know what God's will is, uh, then you are gonna be confused. So I would agree with that. Yeah, Who's your will? Mm. God's will. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and submit to God. Prayer here is Paul's done. Verse three there. No one is talking about grammar. Grammar constantly in prayer. Yeah, that's for me. I've got a brother I just talked to this morning that I prayed before I came for a situation that's going on in his family. Yeah, me as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, that's what I mentioned there. Prayer as well um, as a way of fanning that gift into flame, or fanning your, your faith into flame. Uh, the times you're most discouraged or most tempted, to, or whatever it might be, um, to go to the Lord in prayer, even if you don't want to, uh, you almost force yourself to do it. And then you know, not out of you know, again, just checking off the box, but you know, getting yourself back into that mindset of of praying to God, and uh, that can be very encouraging as well. Um, another way. I have put down here is to, to live life with an eternal perspective. Um, I think that's something I have to remind myself of all the time. Um, the way, what truly matters here, what's most important, what is, has an eternal effect, um, you know, what am I spending my time doing, um, that kind of thing. And Jonathan Edwards once prayed that uh, God would stamp eternity on his eyeballs, and uh, that's always stuck with me. Um, you know, what is he saying? He's really saying that you know, wherever he looks, he's looking through that lens of, eternal perspective and reminded constantly of what truly matters here. And so we should pray that God would, would do the same thing to us. And I listened to a sermon by Steve Lawson uh, a while back, and he said there's three things that you should think about every day, and that is the shortness of life, the certainty of death, and the length of eternity. And those three things, uh, that, I mean, that's what helps you keep that eternal perspective in mind. You think of the shortness of life. Uh, nobody knows how long they're given. It could be 50 more years. It could be two more years. It could be a week. It could be a day, um, and your life's over. But even if you're given 100 years of life on earth, it's still in comparison to eternity, that is very short, um, and it will go by quickly. And then the certainty of death, of course. We all know that we're all going to die. It's point once for man to die, and after that comes judgment. The wages of sin is death. So everybody um, at some point is going to die, and so we know that. That's certain. And then we think of the length of eternity, which is a sobering thought for sure. Um, and I actually did a deep study on this, and eternity is, is a very long time. Um, <laughs> so, And there's no no second chance. Or no, I shouldn't say second chance. There's not another chance um, to... Go back and, and change. Uh, you know, you're you're there and you're there for eternity, and you're not 
uh, whatever place you've um, come to is where you're going to rest uh, forever. So that's certainly a, a sobering thought. Um, and I think those three things have a way of really keeping that into um, perspective of, of, of doing what matters in life and not wasting your time doing silly things. It's also why I like uh, Pilgrim's Progress so much. I don't know. I mean, are most of you familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, a book written by John Bunyan, I think, in like the 1600s. I think it's like the second most popular book or maybe purchased book, I don't know, other than the Bible. Um, so it's a pretty big book, and uh, even if you haven't read the book, you're not much into reading. Uh, they have a movie out on it, I think, a couple years ago. It's like an animated version of it. I think it's really good as well, and uh, that's just encouraging to me. Um, it helps me put things into perspective of, you know, this is what life's really about. Um, it's, you know, we're all these pilgrims on this progress, on this journey uh, towards heaven, and there's different snares and trials and, and, and temptations that will rise up along the way, but you're, they're always given the strength and the um, direction to, to stay on the narrow path and and go uh, and find heaven eventually, you know, through God's strength. And so I always think that was, that's always one of my favorite uh, books and movies. Um, and then the, I, I always think of this too because the ending of Pilgrim's Progress is, is so wonderful. I mean, you're going, you you enter to heaven and uh, you're there in perfect uh, harmony with with God and you're, you're without sin and all that stuff. And you watch other movies and you know you have a you have a really good ending and you think, oh, that's great, but that would never actually happen. That would you know that doesn't life's not actually that good. But in Pilgrim's Progress, it's this glorious ending, and that's actually exactly what's going to happen if you are a believer. And so it's always been encouraging to me. So anybody have comments? Yeah, what you're saying, I think, is so huge for the long term. Like, you know, just to kind of confess my own sins, I mean, you know, I've been preaching weekly almost for 20 years. And there are times that I, you know, confess that I get kind of tired of it. and like, man, I wish, you know, I could go over the and I have to do this. But reminding myself of the eternal perspective on what I'm doing and the eternal consequences can really help revive me. You know? So it's not just like, okay, I'll prepare this other sermon. You know, actually, what I'm doing is going to matter for eternity. We're talking about the salvation of souls, the transformation of God's church. Um, and that perspective can help so that like your ministry just doesn't become this like weight that you got to do every week and you're going, like, damn, you got to do it another week. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, breaks from time to time are good. You know, God, embedded the Sabbath principle in the creation. You know, all, all of that is true. But if you do lose that eternal perspective, pretty quickly using your gifts can just become this like mm -hmm. painful responsibility that I don't enjoy. So if you're, yeah, and this, I'm not just talking about preaching, I mean, serving in the nursery or mm -hmm. serving tables and chairs or, you know, remind yourself of God's perspective on that. And that can help a lot so that you don't look at it as just this painful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the devil's constantly trying to tell you, you know, like, you know, what when you're when you're teaching or something like that, like hey, well, it's not really doing anything. Nobody's actually getting anything out of it or something like that, and you're constantly discouraged or something. Um, but to know that you know God is using that, and uh, this is really the most important thing um, you can do is serve in whatever capacity that is uh, for the Lord, and reminded of of the eternal value that's there. So, anybody else have comments? Um, another way I've found helpful um, is to is to read about those who have gone before you. I think, um, you know, I find church history interesting. I know not everybody does, and that's fine. You don't have to. But uh, I, I like reading about those who have gone before us and the accounts of, like, them living in times that are much more difficult than us and being faithful to, you know, I mean, you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and some of the most horrific things you can imagine that took place to these Christians, but they faithfully went through it anyway. Um, 
because they, they were faithful to God. And so that, that has a way of stirring up my faith and being like, well, if they can do that in that time, I can certainly do that in this time where it's free for me to read the Bible and, and go to church. So um, that, that's always been encouraging to me as well. Any other final ways you can think of to fan the, your faith into flame before we move on? Attendance in the church family. You encourage each other and, and not just Sunday morning, okay, it's 8 o'clock, you need to get dressed and go. You, mm-hmm. know, you, you involve yourself in the, in the men's retreat, in the Friday night growth groups, in the Sunday night growth groups, and any kind of prayer, prayer time that they're having. You know, and just that that being being with your brothers and sisters. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely yeah. Coming to church and, and Bible study and stuff, just being around like-minded believers. Because you're out in the world, and there's so many people that just don't believe the same way you believe, or disagree with so many things. So just to be around people that, that believe the same things and hold true to the same things uh, is definitely an encouragement for me. So yeah, that's definitely a way to fan your faith into flame. So let's move on. Um, to the next part there where it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So I don't think, and you might disagree with me on this, but I don't think Paul is claiming to have given Timothy this gift himself. I think this is more of him recognizing uh, the gift that was in Timothy, or that God had given to Timothy. And so him, along with the elders uh, in that day, were recognizing and really just affirming and commissioning Timothy to the ministry through this laying on of hands. Uh, of course, we know that Paul and the apostles had the ability to lay hands on people and heal people uh, and, and, and really impart the Holy Spirit to them. So I don't know that it's, it's inconceivable to think that you know God would have used Timothy or Paul to give Timothy this gift through the laying on of hands. So like I said, you might disagree as to exactly what was happening there. I tend to think it was more of just the recognition of the gift that was in Timothy. Um, and we see laying on of hands throughout the Bible. Uh, you see in the Old Testament, they're commanded to lay hands on the sacrifice. Um, of course, Jesus lays hands on people to heal people. And we talked about the apostles. And this is a, really a theme throughout the Bible is the laying on of hands. And it was common practice uh, and tradition in, uh, to do this to commend somebody to the ministry like we talked about. And people still do this today. And I don't know, do, do you guys do this for deacons or anything? Or if you... Uh, yeah, if we would call it a pastor, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so uh, some people still do this laying on hands, and there's nothing wrong with that. To you know, to have this kind of intimate um, act of, of affirming one somebody to the ministry and praying for them. Um, you know, I think where you go wrong there is to think that you can kind of that you can give somebody the Holy Spirit today or, or heal somebody, and, and a lot of people take it to mean that. Um, but I think, uh, like I said, this is still in practice today, and I think that's probably. Uh, what was happening here. And some some attribute the laying on of hands of Paul to imparting the Holy Spirit to Timothy. I think it's possible that he did that, but it probably would have been two separate occasions because um, I don't think he would have imparted the Spirit to him and then also commissioned him with this gift to be a minister. I think in Titus talks about how you know, you're know you not to be a new convert or a, you know, a new believer if you are going to, to teach or, or fill out this role. And so I think this was more of Paul and the elders affirming Timothy um, with his gift to be a minister. So any comments or questions on that phrase there? If you look at the structure of the sentence, uh, for this reason I remind you to, to ban into the flame the gift of God, which is in you. So the which is, is pointing back to the gift of God. It's not pointing to the laying on. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, it'd be like you said, it's, it's, he's commissioning him. You know, mm -hmm. He's reaffirming the gift of God that, that Timothy has. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is a kind of interesting word, I mean, because after that, which is in you through the laying on of my hand, it almost sounds a little bit like he's saying, you know, that's the reason you have the, I gave you this gift or something like that. But I mean, I certainly Paul would understand that God is the one who's given Timothy this gift. So uh, that's where I would fall on it. But uh, any, any other comments? Is it similar to ordaining today? I mean, like laying hands on somebody to be a pastor? That's kind of how I'm looking at it. But I mean, I don't. I could be wrong. So that's what I was. Go ahead. Yeah, um, real quick, like when we talk about spiritual gifts, we often think only of like abilities. But the New Testament term is a little broader than that. It can refer to like a position as pastor. Like again, we don't typically think this way, but being like installed as a pastor should be viewed as a spiritual gift. So I think that's probably in context what he's talking about, not primarily like Timothy's ability to teach or preach, but his role as pastor of the church in Ephesus. That's the gift that he's to cultivate and like thrive in. So I, I don't know if he was getting lazy or scared or whatnot, but you know, as, as the pastor of this church, you know, fan that in the flame, not so much like this ability to preach or teach. Okay. Yeah. That so could be one way to look at it. I mean, that does connect. I'm sorry to interrupt. But I mean, Good. if you trace that, you know, especially in the pastoral epistles, that's how pastors were identified. They were, hands were laid on them. They were commissioned then to like pastor the church in Crete or Ephesus. So to me, it seems like that's the most logical thing. Not so much like you're getting lazy in your teaching ability, but you know, as pastor, you've got this gift to shepherd this church and fan that in. Okay. Yeah. Could be. Go ahead, Ben. I think that's what I was saying. Is if you find the ordination services, you have the senior pastors laying their hands students who are passing out. I think it's symbolic. Yeah. Wasn't it's, it's not just for the gift, but for the public witness, mm -hmm. you know, that this was done in front of the church or churches, and that should always be on your mind. That's your ministry, mm -hmm. yeah. I think there is some significance to the act of doing that publicly, so that yeah, that could be go ahead, Jill. So, just for ultra clarification, with the laying on of hands, we should view that as more intimate, symbolic versus that the act of laying on hands increasing the significance of our prayers. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's a symbolic thing and intimate. Yeah, I would I would say that would be the view of it. I don't think whether or not you laid hands on somebody or not means that God's going to answer your prayers more because like oh they were laying hands on you. So yeah, that they definitely deserve to be answered there. I don't think that would be um, the case. Go ahead, Carol. Yeah, just just all of this kind of tying kind of your last last two points together. You know, I mean, yes, the laying on of hands it is part of the great cloud of witnesses that that actually encourages you in a positive direction, you know, encouraged to build courage into somebody versus, you know, a negative would be accountability. But in this, you know, I think it also in just ways to increase your faith, increase your effectiveness, increase the use and effect, I mean, effectiveness, I guess, of your gifts is, you know, 
sometimes we we say, okay, we need to practice them. We need to, you know, we need to learn more, you know, whatever. But also, we have not because we ask not. God over and over encourages to ask, seek, knock, you know, and it shall be given to you. You know, in the passage where the man goes to Jesus with his son who was demon possessed, and um, Jesus cast it out, the disciples could not. But his words are so powerful because he, he says, do you believe? And he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Like one mm -hmm. of the things that we also need to be doing is asking for this. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, our our Jesus wouldn't do miracles in certain places because of their unbelief, you know? And in our way, in our, <coughs> our lives too, I think we get in our own way by, uh, I doubt it's gonna happen, just full of doubt and whatever. Mm -hmm. like, okay, you can have your doubt if that's what you want. And he doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. answer. So there's an element of asking, Believing, increasing your faith, stating it publicly, having others come alongside you, whether it's through prayer or putting their hands on you or whatever it is for what you to do, publicly proclaiming the glory to, of God to all, that, that it really increases our faith from the inside and the outside in terms mm -hmm. of encouragement and just, you know, like a, a coal that is separated from the fire just quickly dies. But just having that togetherness and that momentum really increases. Mm -hmm. From all sides, I think, in terms of God's blessing and effective prayers, as well as our own hearts that God wants to reward at, like, like I said, like the widow, you know. Mm -hmm. and yeah, and I think it would be an encouragement to you too to have a group of elders or pastors evaluate your life and say, "Yes, I think this is, you know, what you're called to do." And so, I've yeah, seen, I've seen missionaries pray, have hands laid on, and if I remember correctly, to correct me if I'm wrong, when you prayed for Brady before he went to be a counselor. As you were praying, you put your hand on his shoulder. Yeah. Um, yeah, without getting too far afield, I think it's more than just symbolic. I definitely think there's symbolic to it, but it's also, it, it communicates a lot. You know, whenever I go visit somebody in the hospital, unless it's totally inappropriate, I'll put my hand on their shoulder or something like that. Um, because again, I, I don't think it's like magical. I don't think like, you know, power is going into them, but it does communicate care and whatnot as part of the whole prayer experience. And also with the laying out of hands, it's more than just like, figurative there is this sense that we're like recognizing this guy as our pastor we're going to follow his leadership that sort of thing um so yeah I, I i think there is abiding significance like even with my kids often when i pray for my kids i'll put my hand on their shoulder or something like that and, and again it's not magical it's not like you know these prayers are automatically going to get answered or something like that but there is something communicate you know like our bodily positions affect our souls i know this is kind of getting a little bit far afield but there's you know, it's part of the reason why Christians often kneel when they pray. You know, it's not like it makes it magical, but it mm -hmm. does. There's like a connection there between our souls and our bodily posture. Um, so yeah, I do think the laying on of hands can, you know, in a lot of situations, be helpful and and even even more than that, like like spiritually encouraging. Yeah, I think it it is a kind of way of being intimate and and saying that you know you are all together here. You know, we're we're with you on this journey, and we're you know being close in that bond. I think has that significance. It's not just some ritual to do, uh, because that's what people have always done. But go ahead, did you have something to say? I, I was just saying, but isn't that already, isn't that just kind of revealing what's already in our heart? So in that way, you, you would say it's implied, like it's, like you said, it's not transferring any magic, you're not zapping somebody with you know, some type of magic. And I would say like similar to the way we believe in baptism operation. Like, I mean, I get the water, since you can say that's doing nothing, because what's, our, what's transformative power has already happened in the heart of the person. Being baptized, it's just publicly declaring it, which I guess adds to the significance of the moment. But it, like, there's no—I mean, there's—I would say there's nothing magical about me getting in the water. And it's not like I'm not a Christian before having them. Like, 
think that's kind of what Lionel Hand is. Rebuttal out if you feel like I'm not, but I mean, like, it's just like the people in the congregation see that as, okay, they're serious about this, you know, this is just going to be off. Yeah, rebuttal isn't the word. Try to go back to the baptism thing. I, I totally think there's nothing saving in the act in the water or anything like that. But at the same time, when I like feel the water on my body, I'm probably going to remember that for a long time. It's a significant point in my spiritual in my walk with the Lord. Um, so again, it's not it's not magical. I mean, we do need to be very aware of like the tendency we have to turn stuff magical and to think holy water does some, you know, which it, it doesn't, but at the same time, we don't want to swing to the opposite extreme and say that like physical actions are pointless and have no significance on our souls or our mentality, um, which isn't the case either. So I, I do think that there is a sense in which bodily actions, bodily posture, if rightly understood and interpreted, can kind of tie into our souls, though at the same time, we have to be very, very careful about like magical stuff. You know, for example, even the, the Lord's Supper. You know, there's nothing magical. You know, bread is still bread. The grape juice is still grape juice. It doesn't transform. Doesn't you know do anything magical. But at the same time, like tasting that engages our senses in a more powerful way than just like sitting there hearing stuff. Um, so I do think that in some way we're kind of getting into a wider discussion of like the relationship between the body, like the material and the immaterial. They're not as separate in biblical worldview as we tend. You know, we tend to have like this very separated. Like, you know, there's material stuff, and then there's spiritual stuff, and they're really not connected. The Bible does look at them as more connected, and this is why, like, you know, what you do with your physical body, you, you know, the whole, you can get off into, like, talking about sexual sin, how that's so very serious, because, you know, you're not only letting your body to a prostitute, but your soul as well. But, I mean, we could go a lot of different directions, but it's part of, like, the worldview of the Bible that the material and the spiritual are not as disconnected as we tend to look at them. Mm -hmm. Well, and a picture of words without the words. And I, I think in the in the Middle Eastern mindset as well as through the Old Testament, God was always showing them. He was always having his prophets go and do okay, or or Moses set up this pile of rocks. So you know, I mean that that's how like especially in the Middle East culture, that's kind of how they, they they have to see it. And this is one thing too, like you're saying, it does stick in your memory, it does use your other symptoms, but more than that, it's just that's how we think we think in pictures, not words. And it helps us to remember and focus and have a, a benchmark to go back to and you know, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. May I have some? Yeah, what is like the most important use of your head? The use of your head? Yeah, your head. Like what do you use your head for? Like what you use your mind to think, is that what you're getting at? I, don't I mean the most important thing like give and receive, right? To what? You receive and give, right? Using your head, right? Oh, your hand? Your receive hand. a gift? Okay, yeah. You're giving what you're receiving, giving it in your hand, right? Mm -hmm. So when it's uh, being coordinated, right? People lay it in your hand, right? They're giving him a message that from now you're going to take on it. And it's just like a symbol of giving and receiving. So it's not something like a message. It's not like for him to be the right that he's receiving that message. And it's all receiving that power. So you're saying it is a symbol is what you're you're getting at. You're not like actually giving them that gift through your hand, right? Yeah, I think that's what I would I would agree with that as well. But I mean, it, maybe in, like we've talked about, it has a little bit more significance than just like a ritual tradition to do. Um, there is some uh, maybe benefit to doing it that way, but you're not actually giving them the gift through that. So, any other comments? Ten thirty already. We've gotten through one verse, so <laughs> we're gonna be doing this for a long time. It looks like. How much God loves us, that He would give us all of these little sensual 
think there would be our sense that we would just know him and our faith would be full. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is an encouragement for sure. Uh, Bennett, go ahead. I was just checking that mainly. You may recall when he became blind, they laid his hands, I mean, Ananias laid his hands on him. And then when they were sending him to uh, the first missionary journey, the church in Antioch, they laid their hands on him again. So it, it appears as if it's, uh, you know, like Pastor was saying, uh, something that is quite. It's symbolic, and especially on the occasions that that uh, laying on laying on of hands takes uh, place, it's very very symbolic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with all that as well. So, all right, I will wrap us up in prayer, and then we'll hopefully continue on next week. So, uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much again for a time to come together and study your Word. We thank you for the truth that is found within your Word, Lord, and pray that. Uh, we would commit ourselves to it, and we would submit to what we find uh, in the Scriptures, Lord. And I just pray, uh, I pray that you would help us to fan uh, our gifts into flame, and whatever gifts they might be, that you'd reveal to us how we are gifted, Lord, and that we would use them um, to serve the church and to serve the body and to serve you and, and bring glory to your name, Lord. And I just pray that you'd help us to fan our faith into flame at times when it's not where it should be and dwindles down, uh, that we would uh, we would go to your Word and read and um and pray and have that eternal perspective, Lord, in all the different ways that you have given us as a, as a way, as a means of fanning our faith into flame, that we would use them, Lord, and that you would bless us in this way, Lord. And I just uh, pray that we would have clarity as we walk through this text, Lord, um, as to what it truly means and that you would bring out the meaning of it and that we would learn from it, Lord, and uh, have better understanding of how you work and, and who you are um, as our God, Lord. So I just pray that you'd be uh, with Pastor Tim now as he teaches and preaches, um, give him uh, strength and the ability to teach clearly and communicate um, the meaning of the text to us, Lord, and that we would be edified and built up, Lord, um, and that we would uh, give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.